Hi there. I just want to say that you have got to be the most insipid, ridiculously idiotic, moronic person I've ever heard on any form of media. Exiled by society, friends, lovers, and terrestrial radio. A guy with literally nothing left to lose. For 15 years, he's been telling it like it is. This is the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. Lincoln Chafee's campaign manager, maybe it's a good idea to start printing out some resumes if you haven't already. Just a friendly piece of advice. I guess that could probably be said for the Rick Santorum campaign manager. Although that guy, that's tough. Can you imagine you apply to be that campaign manager and then you go, oh yeah, by the way, your name, have you looked up your name on Urban Dictionary? And then um, probably Mike Huckabee also. Not a good day to be campaign managers for those guys. The good news is if you're volunteering for one of those campaigns right about now, you're going to have a lot more free time real soon. Welcome in. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show on a Wednesday, October 14th, 2015. Groffshow at gmail.com. That is our email address. It's groffshow at gmail.com. Michael Groff on Twitter. MichaelGroff.com for everything else Michael Groff related. Groffshow at gmail.com. Also our PayPal address so you can donate to this program. Your most generous contributions. Always appreciated. It was uh, quite a debate last night, the big DNC debate, and I have to tell you, this is uh, something. So I, I fell asleep last night. I didn't get to watch it until this morning. I woke up, and that was the first thing I did I last night. What happens is I get, I just, these shows, uh, I've been out of sync for a while on this, so it's taking me a long time, longer than normal to produce these shows. So then at the end of the day, by like five in the afternoon, uh, I'm still, I'm really tired. First of all, it's still a thousand degrees outside. For some reason, it is, it's October. The The summer just is hanging on here. And uh, I know I'm coming up with lots of excuses. I sound like Lincoln Chafee. Um, it, it was just so hot. So I finally just had to take a nap last night. So I missed the, uh, the big debate. I woke up this morning. First thing I did was watch and I was not disappointed. I really debated this. I thought, yeah, you know, maybe I'll just sort of look for highlights. I'll just read some of the transcripts online. No, I'm glad I sat and watched the entire two-hour event because, well, I uh, I actually was pretty impressed with some of the things I saw. Impressed. Well, there's a lot of good show material out of it as well, so that helps. So let's just delve into that right away. Um, number one. Uh, I didn't even know that Lincoln Chafee was a part of this whole thing. And if you're wondering who the hell is Lincoln Chafee, if you didn't watch, uh, former uh, Rhode Island uh, senator and uh, congressman. And uh, look, a a guy that has absolutely no chance. He was a Republican at one point. He switched over to the Democrat Party. 
Um, I guess. I don't know. And so he's in there. Jim Webb is in there. I thought, I honestly thought he dropped out. And I think after last night, he probably will. Uh, poor Jim Webb. He really was frustrated last night. The guy felt like he wasn't getting any time. He even stated so not so slyly during the event that he wasn't getting nearly enough time. He wasn't getting equal time, equal representation. And uh, he was saying, I haven't been able to say anything for 10 minutes. These guys have been able to talk for 10 minutes straight. I haven't gotten to say a thing. Um, Anderson Cooper (laughs) frequently reminding him that, hey, you agreed to these debate rules. So it was really, as expected, it was the Hillary Clinton-Bernie Sanders show last night. Although, Martin O'Malley from Maryland, he got in a couple of good mentions, a couple of good zingers, and some some good discussion in there. He went at it with Bernie Sanders a couple of times, but for the most part, yeah, it was the Sanders-Clinton show, as we expected. Clinton came across as, uh, well, having a, she laughed a couple of times. We didn't even know that was possible from her. Uh, she, uh, she had a couple of, uh, good lines in there. Bernie Sanders was, well, he, he, he started out very weak. I thought that he was kind of getting pushed around and really didn't have much to say in the beginning. And then he, well, he pretty much stole the show actually. So at one point, the, as you would expect, the issue of email gate, uh, came up and, you know, the Hillary Clinton email scandal, which has gripped the country for some reason. It's just another one of those stories where the cover-up is worse than the crime. Uh, I have long maintained that the Hillary Clinton thing... Listen, I, I know there's a process. There is there is a potential of illegality here. So I don't want to make light of the fact that Hillary probably um, erased a bunch of emails, didn't turn stuff over, and probably is covering up a lot of stuff. I'm not saying that's not happening, and there is a process, and I hope that it goes through its normal procedure and that we get to the bottom of what actually happened. And I know people are saying, I hope Hillary Clinton goes to prison. You know what? Listen, I'm sure that the investigation is going to go through. I'm pretty much going to guarantee you Hillary Clinton will not go to prison because she deleted some emails. I have a feeling that that is not going to happen. Uh, For those of you that think that she's going to be disqualified from the election because of this whole thing, probably not going to happen. You're probably going to be disappointed. Nevertheless, the issue about her emails came up last night. And Bernie Sanders came to the rescue in a big way. Here's a little bit of that exchange. But tonight, I want to talk not about my emails, but about what the American people want from the next president of the United States. Let me say this. Let me say, let me say something that may not be great politics, but I think the secretary is right. And that is that the American people are sick and tired of hearing about your damn emails. Thank you. Me too. Me too. There you go. The American people are sick and tired of of hearing about your damn emails. And I think to at least a, a small point, there is something to that. Bernie Sanders went on to say that people want to hear about uh, the substantive issues, what we're going to do about poverty, what we're going to do about uh, all these other issues. And I think that was that got a big roar from the crowd. Then later, uh, or just after that, uh, Anderson Cooper said, well, that plays very well in this room, but uh, Lincoln Chafee, you have been openly critical of the former Secretary of State Clinton about this issue. 
would you like to address that to her face? And he said, yes. And so he, he said, hey, this is about credibility. I don't really think you have much credibility here. You know, we need a leader that, uh, well, we need a good leader. We need a strong leader. And these, this speaks to your credibility. And uh, if you're covering something up. And then uh, <laughs> the best part about that was then Anderson Cooper says, uh, Ms. Clinton, would you like to respond to that? No. <laughs> that was it. And there you go. Look, Lincoln Chafee, he, Lincoln Chafee looked okay in that moment. Then uh, they asked him another question about the Iraq war and how he was the only Republican, because at the time he was a Republican in Congress. He was the only Republican to vote against the war in Iraq, and he looked pretty good in that. Here's a little of that exchange. Governor Chafee, you were the only Republican in the Senate to vote against the Iraq war. You say Secretary Clinton should be disqualified from the presidency because she voted in favor of using force in Iraq. She has since said that her vote was a mistake. Why isn't that good enough? Well, we just heard Senator Sanders say that it's the worst decision in American history. That's very significant. The worst decision in American history, I just saw, heard from Senator Sanders. So as we look ahead, if you're going to make those poor judgment calls, a critical time in our history, we just finished with the Vietnam era, getting back into another quagmire. Uh, if you're looking ahead and you're looking at someone that made that poor decision in 2002 to go into Iraq, when there was no real evidence of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, I know because I did my homework, and so that's a, an indication of how someone will perform in the future. And that's what's important. So he looked okay there. He seemed to be going along all right. And you're thinking, okay, this guy, Lincoln Chafee, maybe I've never heard of him. He seems to be okay. I mean, I'm, uh, he's, he's there. He's hanging in there with the, with the big boys, all right? He's hanging tough. And then, well, the Titanic... That is Lincoln Chafee struck the iceberg and the topic switched quickly over to the financial sector and specifically the big banks and um, how in the late 90s, uh, the Senate, well, the Congress in general uh, went against the Glass-Steagall legislation. They, they, they repealed that. They changed the legislation that was uh, brought about in the 30s to regulate the banking industry. So there was mass deregulation of the banking industry and uh, Anderson Cooper astutely brought up that Lincoln Chafee voted for the deregulation of banks. And uh-oh, <laughs> this is how that turned out. Governor Chafee, you've attacked Secretary Clinton for being too close to Wall Street banks. In 1999, you voted for the very bill that made banks bigger. Uh, the Glass-Steagall was my very first vote. I just arrived. My dad had died in office. I was appointed to the office. It was my are very you saying, first vote. Are you saying you didn't know what you were voting for? I just arrived at <laughs> the Senate. Uh, I think we get some takeovers. That was one. It was my very first vote, and it was 95, 90, 92.5. It was the, the reconciliation. Well, you can sort of hear uh, vaguely in the background some people in the crowd going, oh, my God, really, dude? He he just dropped in excuses. Wow, my father passed away. I, I, I was just it was my very first vote. I just got appointed. I I uh, uh, oh boy. Uh, I I I didn't really know what I was doing. I was a newbie. Uh, um. Uh. uh well. Uh. That, 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 and my dog ate it. 
and 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 uh, oh boy. What does that say about you that you're casting a vote for something you weren't really sure about? I think you're being a little rough. I just arrived at the United States Senate. I've been mayor of my city. My dad had died. Had been appointed by the governor. It was the first vote, and it was 90 to five. I I, I had just been appointed. Uh, uh, my dad had died, and you're being really tough on me, Anderson. This is not really fair. Uh, it's not like I'm running for the highest office in the land or anything. And besides, hey, it doesn't matter. The vote was 90 to 5 anyway. So what would my vote have made the difference? I mean, come on. Come on, everybody. Go, let's lighten up. Yes, it was a conference report. But let me just say about income inequality. We've had a lot of talk over the last few minutes, hours, or tens of minutes. But well, no one's saying how now. we're going to fix it. And it all started- Now he goes off on a completely sort of unrelated tangent here. Bush tax cuts to favor the wealthy. So let's go back to the tax code. And point six percent of Americans are at the oh, top echelon, over 464,000. He's real nervous now. Americans. That's less than one percent, but they generate 30 percent of the revenue. Thank you. And Governor. they're doing fine. So there's still a lot more money to be had from this top echelon. I'm saying let's have another tier and put that uh, back into the tax bracket, and that will generate 42 billion dollars. Then Dan we can help. Which, uh, the middle class and incidentally, that had nothing to do with what they were talking about. They were talking about the big banks and how they need to be regulated or if they need to be regulated. And um, th- th- it was brought up that, uh, you know, uh, Martin O'Malley said, I want to go back to the Glass-Steagall legislation. Bernie Sanders had his own solution. Um, Hillary Clinton had her own solution. But, uh, oh boy, poor poor Lincoln Chave. I, I didn't know what I was voting for and... Uh, if you've ever wanted to see a candidate end his career, end his chance right there. Now, not that he really had a chance to begin with, but if you ever wanted to see someone strike the proverbial iceberg and watch their candidacy sink right there on live TV, there it was. You can go uh, and, um, in fact, we're going to post that up on michaelgroff.com so that when you look at our um, at the blog for this show, you can see that highlighted moment right there. You can actually see... Uh, a candidate lose and have and go from having almost no chance to literally zero chance in the blink of an eye. There it is. Watch a candidate die on the vine right there. All right. So uh, some other highlights uh, from last night. Um, they did have a discussion about. Well, as I mentioned, poor Jim Webb he couldn't even get a, a word in really. Um, and when he did, nah, he was okay, but nothing uh, specifically. I don't think there was any point where I really said, oh, wow, you know, he really just made a great point right there. So uh, I think he, along with Chafee, I don't think they're going to make it to the next uh, DNC debate. Uh, I don't know. O'Malley might hang around. He seemed to score a few points with the crowd at one point. He did argue with Sanders about gun control. They had sort of an EPEN contest over who was more hated by the NRA. Uh Bernie Sanders noted a couple of times that he has a D-minus rating with the NRA, uh, to which Martin O'Malley quickly pointed out that he has an F rating and that he is much more tough on guns than Bernie Sanders. Sanders said, well, I'm from a rural state, and frankly, you have to get people to come together on these types of issues. It's much different in a rural state than it is in urban areas. Um, you don't. So they sort of had that, uh, that little battle back and forth. Um, let's see. Other than that, I made a few other notes here about uh, some stuff. Let's see. Oh, they did talk about uh, the legalization of marijuana and the criminal justice system in general. 
and Bernie Sanders, as uh, this is probably the best point made about uh, the topic is, of course, that our criminal justice system is flawed inherently because we have so many people that have been locked up for nonviolent drug offenses uh, that it is it's just a joke. The war on drugs is obviously a failure. And when he was asked pointedly if he would be in favor of legalizing marijuana, he said, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I would. I would vote yes on that. And I think, uh, of course, they asked Hillary Clinton about it. She said, mm, I don't think so. I'm, I'm kind of for medical marijuana, but I, I think a lot more research has to be done. She sort of punted on the question. So that was... Uh, that was how she handled that situation. And they really didn't give the other candidates much of an opportunity to chime in on that because at that point, people had already... I, I think at that point, somebody already got into the ear of Anderson Cooper and the rest of the CNN people and said, listen, uh, this Chafee, we're just wasting camera time on him. And Jim Webb, too. Webb, uh, he, all he's going to do is bitch about how little time he's getting when he gets time. And Chafee is just an idiot. And O'Malley, I don't know, who cares? That was pretty much what they came up with over at CNN last night. That's what I think, anyway. Uh, that's about uh, it for that. And then, of course, uh, they they did talk about a lot of the issues. Uh, Clinton talked about her plan and how she was the Secretary of State and her record. And everybody had their own back and forth on what they've done, their accomplishments. What was interesting was that the issue of God never came up in this debate. It's interesting how you can have a political debate and you don't have to talk about God. Now, maybe I missed it because I was sitting here watching this morning. I was having coffee. I was uh, Maybe I was still just waking up, but I did not remember a segment, an entire segment being devoted to how the candidates feel about God. Now, uh, I thought that was great. However, while there wasn't that segment, there was the mandatory pandering 101 segment that every Democrat debate has to do. See, this is the problem. The Republican debate, you can always count on a segment about God. The Democrat debate, you can always count on a pandering segment where they deliberately go to pan try their best to pander to their base. And in this case, it was, this is a literal question that was asked during the debate last night. Uh, they asked each candidate, do black lives matter or do all lives matter? Like, what the hell kind of trap question is that? What kind of a stupid question is that? Obviously, they're talking about it because there's the issue of uh, law enforcement and questions about the integrity of uh, law enforcement with regard to blacks and racism in the in law enforcement and racism inherently in the job market and uh, the, of course the issue of affirmative action got brought up and each candidate's uh, passed on that notion and uh, you know Jim Webb was uh, a guy that was sort of a um, not an affirmative action guy I guess or so and it's it is weird how that manifested of course Bernie Sanders Black Lives Matter Hillary Clinton Black Lives Matter Jim Webb Jim Webb said all lives matter. I guess that would be the Jim Webb highlight is that 
he actually answered the question the proper way, at least in my mind. Now, if I were a Democrat running for office, I would say, oh, black lives matter. Black lives are the most important lives. Uh, we still do way too much discriminating against black people. Blah, blah. You know, I would pander to that base big time. I'd say you all, every uh, black people need reparations. Um, we, uh, I feel guilty just being a white person up here. Uh, we should. Uh, uh, it's just terrible. You know, of course, that's what you are supposed to do as a Democrat running for office. Um, that that was that was really a bizarre segment i i got kind of uncomfortable do black lives matter or do all lives matter can you imagine if they did that with a uh do uh white lives matter or all lives do asian lives matter or i mean that just that seemed really really weird and the answers were really weird and i think a couple of people tried to sort of say well you know i think that uh, all, a lot of minorities, a lot of groups are discriminated against, including poor white people. Uh, you know, we want to uh, bring about change to everybody and uh, every uh, underclassed, underemployed minority group out there, including poor white people. But, you know, it was more about do black lives matter. That was that was strange. I have to say, uh, I didn't even know how to react to that. Uh, and that was pretty much the debate. And afterwards, they asked Bernie Sanders uh, whether or not, you know, about the whole thing with uh, Hillary and her damn emails. And he said, listen, I just thought it was the right thing to say to come to her defense. I mean, this is America wants to know about what we're going to do about these issues. They don't really want to hear any more about these emails. So that was his take on it. Um, I Again, I did feel that Hillary Clinton did come out strong and she has the name recognition. She has the pedigree. Bernie Sanders has some of the momentum. He got in a couple of plugs for his website, berniesanders.com, and to donate. Um, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, Bernie Sanders, yes, he has the momentum. Everybody else, I, I think O'Malley has a little bit of momentum, maybe. He has a little bit of something, but I don't think he's going to come out of nowhere, kind of like Ben Carson uh, who, by the way, continues to just make dumb statements. And then more information keeps coming out about Ben Carson, and you like the guy less and less. So let's see, what else is there here? Oh, somehow Mike Huckabee managed to work his way into the chatter last night about the debate. So many Republicans, many people in general, were live tweeting during the debate last night. But... Mike Huckabee trying desperately to still be relevant in the discussion on either side of this. Uh, he chimed in with a live tweet that was just spectacular. Gotta love this. Huckabee wrote, this is not somebody from his campaign, incidentally. This was Mike Huckabee on his own Twitter wrote this. I trust at Bernie Sanders with my tax dollars like I would a North Korean chef with my Labrador. <laughs> Excellent. There you go. Way to suppress those stereotypes about Republicans being racist, Mikey. You know, I would really... You'd, we talked about at the start of the show, I mentioned that uh, some of those uh, campaign managers for uh, maybe uh, Lincoln Chafee and uh, Jim Webb and other guys are probably going to be looking for a job pretty soon. They need to be printing out their resumes. I should print out a resume to apply to be... Mike Huckabee's life coach or campaign manager or conscience or just something, just the voice that tells him 
Shut the hell up. There just needs to be somebody that stands over Mike Huckabee and watches every move he makes and uh, only allows him to speak after you've cleared what he's about to say. Because uh, if, if I was standing by, I'd be like, yeah, Mike, um, some, Mikey, Mikey, hold on. Shh, shh. That might be considered racist, what you're writing there. You know, the whole North Koreans eating dog thing, the whole Asians eating dog thing. Yeah, some people might find that to be a little insensitive, don't you think? Uh, whenever you go to the classic Koreans eating dog thing. Now, I want to say this. I don't, I don't want to make it out to be the biggest deal in the world. I don't want to blow it up to be anything like huge because I will say this. There is definitely a double standard because if a comedian like Jim Norton or Louis C.K. or somebody like that had written the same tweet, uh, it would be considered hilarious. It would be retweeted. People would find it mostly funny. Yeah, some of the uh, some of the general uh, yuppie types would find that offensive, but generally it would be very well received. But because Mike Huckabee wrote it, it's considered to be offensive and racist. The only difference between it is that when Jim Norton or Louis C.K. or some comedian writes something like that, they're not running for president and they're not doing so. They're not writing this sort of thing in kind of a serious way. It's kind of also the intent behind what they're writing. So I, I... I'm never one of these dudes that accuses somebody of being patently racist. However, when you're running for president, you do have to have some savvy. So what bothers me about it is it just shows that Mike Huckabee has absolutely no political savvy. He has no common sense whatsoever. I'm sure he probably is sitting there going, you know, if Donald Trump had written this, probably nobody would be making a big deal about it. Yeah, well, that's the difference there, Mikey. So, quality tweet from him there uh, last night. All right, so that's the uh, that's the debate. And uh, I, I have to say, there's a couple of things. Now, uh, I know I've been lobbied very hard f by my friends, by people I know, a lot of acquaintances, people everywhere. Uh, Mike, you, you got to vote for Bernie Sanders. At least give it a look. Come on, give it a thought. And I watched the debate last night, and I really paid very careful attention to what Bernie Sanders has to say. And... I will say that Bernie and I have a lot of common ground in in various areas, okay? For example, we are for getting out of Iraq and Afghanistan and some of these other quagmires. Although I was a little disappointed to hear that Bernie still wants to have airstrikes over in Syria. See, I really thought that Bernie was just like a, let's get the hell out of there. But last night he said, well, you know, I'm not really a pacifist. Uh, I still want to go and have these strategic airstrikes as long as there is a coalition of other nations. I don't want us to act unilaterally, which I agree with part of that. Um, they asked him kind of directly, so is, is there ever an incident or an occasion where you would go to war? And he sort of dodged it at first and then did answer that. But I was a little disappointed with his answer on that because I really thought he was just a uh, complete let's let's back off of this military uh, industrial complex, this military machine that we're running um, kind of thing. So there, that was a little bit of a disappointment in, in a sense. But you know what? I don't think there's any candidate that's running right now, at least Republican or Democrat, that is just a let's pull everything back kind of person. I don't think that person exists. Rand Paul is probably the closest, and then Bernie Sanders, and then everybody else. So that's what I learned last night. Then, 
I do agree fundamentally with Bernie Sanders about America needs to hear about these substantive issues and enough with the wedge issue stuff and how we're going to solve a lot of the complex problems facing this country, uh, the infrastructure of uh, this country and uh, all of that. I, I agree at least with that statement. Um, I agree with Bernie Sanders regarding the legalization of marijuana. I agree with him that our criminal justice system needs a dramatic overhaul when we have nonviolent drug offenders and nonviolent offenders that are doing more time than people that have actually committed legitimate crimes, serious crimes, serious offenses. Why it is that we have basically the largest population, the largest prison population of any civilized nation in the world. I, I agree that uh, with him on, on all of that, that there do, does need to be a serious overhaul of the criminal justice system. That's all well and good. Uh, then Bernie and I, well, this is where I tell people I cannot vote for Bernie Sanders because then he makes ridiculous statements like, oh, scientists unanimously agree that climate change is the biggest threat to our our planet. Uh, they unanimously agree that it's it's there, it's real, and it's human caused. They unanimously agree. That's what he kept saying over and over last night. Well, the problem is is that scientists do not unanimously agree about that. That is a, a myth. That is a piece of fiction that the hardcore left wants to continue to perpetuate about climate change. Um. Man-caused climate change is not necessarily a foregone conclusion. It is not something that is completely and 100% set in stone. Uh, there is uh, an evolution of our climate. There's no question about it, as there always has been. And there is certainly evidence that the climate, that the temperatures, global temperatures, are increasing and have been increasing for the last mm, 300 plus years or so ever since the end of the last mini ice age. Um, but beyond that, whether it's all man-caused or not, there's still a, a significant amount of debate among people that are far more educated on the topic than Bernie Sanders. Uh, so that's something that uh, I disagree with. Then he uses that to springboard into the idea that we need to institute a carbon tax on some of the biggest polluters in our country and people that contribute to pollution and uh, whatnot. This is another area where, you know, the Al Gore types, the Bernie Sanders types, these people that really want to institute some kind of a, a tax, they think that a tax is somehow the panacea to everything. Well, if we just raise taxes and if we institute a carbon tax, that will suddenly clean the air and clean the oceans and that will solve all of our problems. No, believe it or not, and this is, this is where I, I always have fundamentally disagreed with Democrats. Simply raising taxes doesn't solve the problem because, number one, our government misappropriates so much money and uh, spends our tax money in such erroneous and egregious ways that uh, you could raise the taxes as much as you want. It just means that they're going to spend the money uh, more frivolously and more foolishly than ever. So that is a big issue, and that's a big problem. So you can't just say, uh, we need to institute a tax, a carbon tax, and that's going to solve the problem. Two, uh, 
Bernie Sanders is always touting himself as the champion for the middle class and that he says we have a shrinking middle class. Uh, it has been disappearing over the last 40 years. And on that, he is correct. Uh, but the problem is then he talks about instituting a carbon tax and he doesn't understand the basic rule of unintended consequences. If you institute a carbon tax, guess what's going to happen? Oh, sure, you're going to stick it to the auto manufacturers. You're going to stick it to factories. You're going to stick it to the oil companies. And, you know, people are going to cheer about that. But guess what winds up happening? Just like, you know, the old trickle-down economics, guess who eventually winds up paying for that higher tax that you slap on the auto manufacturers and factories and the manufacturing sector and uh, the big oil and all these other people? Uh, well, we, the middle class, winds up paying for it because the rich people, they don't really care. The middle class, that's going to be the people that ultimately pay because do you think the oil company is just going to eat that tax? Do you think that they're not going to pass that along? Do you not think that a, a carbon tax means that we're going to pay more at the pump? Of course it does. That's why Californians pay more at the pump than other places. Like, for example, here in Phoenix, we have a summer and winter blend of gasoline. They decided that that was a good idea years ago because in the winter here in Phoenix, sometimes there's an inversion that develops. Okay, an inversion is where, you know, normally... As you go up in the atmosphere, as you go up from the, the surface of the earth, the ground up, air gets cooler. But sometimes in the winter here and in other valley places, they uh, there's an inversion where the co cooler air is trapped near the surface. And that means that the pollution gets trapped near the surface. And so Phoenix, sometimes in the winter, uh, especially after a week or two where it hasn't rained, uh, they're... they're develops that infamous brown cloud that people know the valley for here. So this is mainly in the winter. So uh, there's a different blend of gasoline they developed so that maybe it would cut down on that pollution. Problem is that it really didn't work that much. The brown cloud really hasn't disappeared in Phoenix in the winter. It's, it's still there. It's still just as prominent as it always was before they had the two different blends. But the difference is that we pay more for gasoline uh, in the winter because of that special blend. And it really didn't solve any of the problem. And so when you, a carbon tax doesn't necessarily solve that problem either. Just because you want to put a tax in there, that doesn't do anything. That doesn't make a big difference. And all it ultimately does is punish the middle class who you claim you're trying to protect. So that's uh, one problem. Then he talks about wage, uh, raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour, and everyone finds that to be a great idea. And I know that most people listening think that $15 an hour for minimum wage is great. And you know, it does. It sounds great on paper, just like a lot of Bernie's ideas. They sound great on paper. But who pays ultimately when you raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour? Small and medium-sized businesses are the ones that ultimately suffer. So there's a burger place I go to right by my house, okay? It's a guy, he employs, I don't know, six, seven, eight people. And he has run this business. Uh, he's owned it for the better part of 25 years. And I don't know how much he pays his guys, but I don't think he pays them 15 bucks an hour. So if you suddenly decided that wages were, minimum wage needed to go up to 15 bucks, 
he's going to have to pay his employees more. And that means that the cost of going there to eat is going to go up. And that means that customers that go there are going to pay more. And that means maybe customers don't go there as often. So you make less money. And that means maybe you have to cut somebody from the, from the staff there. Well, there aren't that many people in the first place. You know, so you have to, and then of course, on a medium-sized business, you're going to have to think about these kinds of things as well. And then you're going to have to think how it affects consumers. And if the minimum wage goes up, it doesn't mean that everybody else's wages go up. So let's say you're making $16 an hour. Well, suddenly you're now toward the bottom end of the pay spectrum. And it means that since other, since wages are going up for, you know, the minimum wage is going up, it means that, uh, you know, the price of a burger at McDonald's or the price of something at a store, or the pr- you know, something that you're buying means that that price is going up, but your wage has stayed the same at 16 bucks an hour. So ultimately, it means that, uh, well, you're not going to be able to afford as much. It hurts the economy to drastically raise the minimum wage like that. I mean, you're talking about an increase of, well, I think the federal minimum wage right now is, I, I believe it's at seven seventy-five or something an hour, seven twenty-five or seven seventy-five. I think in Arizona, I think it's seven seventy-five. Other states, it's at nine bucks, eight bucks, somewhere in between. You know, every state has their own, but there is a federal minimum wage, and so if you suddenly decide you're going to start raising that, it just affects everybody. It's not the panacea. Raising the minimum wage, I know, I know people need to make a a livable wage. But what it does is it just furthers inflation. It means that when you pump more dollars into the economy, it means that the dollar is worth less. So there are smarter ways of helping the economy than just, hey, let's raise the minimum wage. Let's just give more people more money. That should fix everything. No, it hurts businesses. It doesn't hurt giant corporations. And I know Bernie Sanders wants to hurt giant corporations and, you know, he has a problem with them. And I understand. Listen, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not here to defend uh, corporations and uh, the big uh, Wall Street CEOs and Lehman Brothers and Goldman Sachs and all those people that screwed people over uh, way back when. But I am here to tell you that you're not hurting the mega corporations when you raise minimum wage, you're hurting small and medium businesses and you're hurting the overall economy. So you have to think about that. Um, So that's just a couple of areas Bernie and I disagree on. And then uh, the other thing is, I hate to say that the guy's a a hypocrite, but uh, he is part of the reason why we had the big economic collapse in 2008. Let me explain what happened, okay? And I don't, I know people kind of get a little woozy and your head starts to spin when you hear all this. So I'll try to make it as simple as possible. Back in the 90s, the, everyone got accused, they accused banks, Congress, the Democrat-led Congress accused uh, banks of redlining. They accused banks of literally taking a map and drawing a red line in a community and saying people in this red area are going to pay more uh, for a loan than people out, out here. And what it meant was um, banks were literally taking people in poor socioeconomic areas and making them pay more for loans. And that was a bad practice. That was, that was bad business. 
And rightfully, people pointed out to the banks that you're not supposed to do that. But then it's not just enough for Congress to correct a wrong that the banks were doing. They then told the banks, hey, we want more people to be able to afford houses. We want more people to be able to have housing and to start their small businesses. So you are going to give more loans to people that want to start a small business or to own their, their home. And the bank said, well, I don't, you know, listen, there's consequences. No, shut up. You're going to do it. And by the way, this wasn't just Democrats that did this. Uh, President Bush was big into this. President Bush wanted uh, people to be able to have uh, first-time homes and to start their small business. So he said, hey, let's, let's back off on the regulations. Let's back off on all of the requirements that you have to give a loan to somebody to start a small business. So both parties engaged in this, but Bernie Sanders was at the forefront of this, even though there was, you know, he wanted to keep the banks regulated. He also wanted to, uh, he also wanted banks to give out more money to people to start their homes and, and their businesses. And the reality is people that were making thirty and $40,000 a year were getting loans for half a million and million dollar homes. And that's, how, at least in part, the economy got to be so screwed up and eventually it led to an economic collapse because the housing market just went back in 2008. So, and it was not just that. There was a lot of other stuff that was going on in Wall Street. There was a lot of shady business deals and there were a lot of people that needed to, that should have uh, frankly gone to jail. And there was a lot of crap going on, a lot of underhanded shady dealings going on at Lehman Brothers and Goldman Sachs and all these other places. And Bernie Sanders is right about that. But the problem is Bernie Sanders was part of the problem uh, when, you know, it's it's a good intention. Believe me, he is well intended. I don't think Bernie Sanders is a bad person. He's well intended in wanting more people to be able to afford uh, their, their small business loans, to be able to get a, a small business loan and to get a home loan. That's good intention. President Bush was in on that too. Good intent. The problem is not everybody can afford it. Not everybody is created equal, just like we talked about on the show the other day. Not everybody is eligible for that kind of a loan. You know, 10 years ago, I could have probably walked into a bank and said, hey, I don't make a whole lot of money, but you know, there's a nice house. There really is. In my neighborhood, there's this beautiful house right up the street from me that is $759,000 is its list price. It's a brand new house. They they tore down the old one. They built a new one. And 10 years ago, I could have walked into a bank and said, you know, I make this, which isn't much. Let me, give me a loan for that $759,000 home. And the bank would have said, you know, tell you what, Mr. Groff, all right, sign here. And the bank knows that I would not have been able to pay it back, but they were going to let me do it anyway because there was so much pressure, so much congressional pressure, governmental pressure to let them <laughs> to have to let me get that stupid loan. So that's the problem uh, with uh, the business, the banking business and with what was going on. And Bernie Sanders was part of that. And a lot of people were part of that. It wasn't just him. You know, Republicans, Democrats, everybody was part of this problem. And that's one of the main reasons that I have a hard time voting for either of the two major parties is because of just that. They may be well-intended, but you know what they say about good intentions and the road to hell is paved with them. So 
that's just a couple of the problems I have with Bernie Sanders. So you people lobbying me for Bernie Sanders, I mean, these are things that I have to take into account before I would vote for the guy. You know, and of course, then there is the inevitable problem of, hey, uh, he has all these programs that he wants to do. How is he going to pay for that? Oh, yeah. With that carbon tax, with that tax on Wall Street. And again, I know that the mega corporations are out of hand. I get it. I got you. All right. There does need to be regulation. And I'm not one of the I've always been a libertarian, but I've never been the libertarian that goes no regulation for anything ever. No, you have to have responsible uh, reasonable regulations placed on things to prevent monopolies, to prevent um, duopolies, you know, like we have in our own government, incidentally. You have to take uh, responsible actions to protect against those things. But, you know, there's responsible action and then there's just uh, insanity, which is what we're at right now. And both parties are engaging in that. So, um, so I don't know. I'm gonna have a. I would have a hard time voting uh, for for old Bernie. All right. Even though, again, I will say it, he. There are things he says that I certainly agree with. Um. So there you go. I mean, every candidate. Well, most every candidate says at least something I can latch onto and agree with, uh, except for maybe Mike Huckabee. I don't know if that guy has ever said one thing that I w- agree with. And if, even if he did, I would probably double check. Like, if Mike Huckabee came to me and said, hey, the sky is blue, I'd be like, you know, let me double check that before I buy into what you're saying. Well, look at that. We've just done a 45-minute opening segment. Well, this is something I wanted to avoid, and I just wanted to have kind of a quick discussion on the issues, and we just went off on a mega tangent. All right. Well, This is what happens. I uh, I don't intend for this to go this way. I actually just intended, hey, we'll just have a quick rundown of the debate. We'll just quickly talk about some stuff. And maybe I'll get a couple of thoughts in on Bernie Sanders. And then we'll move on. But no. No, it just never works out that way, does it? All right, listen, we're going to break. This is why I actually need a producer. Say, you people that are... Um, in the uh, in the Chafee campaign, you campaign managers over there, and in the uh, Rick Santorum campaign, and Jim Webb, and Martin O'Malley, you know, if you want to send me your resume to be a producer for this show, I would take it. Um, if you can help me uh, get on a clock and stay on schedule and stay on point, uh, that would be greatly appreciated. An in-studio producer would be great. I don't know. We'll uh, take your applications at michaelgroff.com. All right. We will now... (laughs) No. We'll break and be back. There is more coming up. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. The Zip Code Famous. Michael Groff Show. If you
zip code famous Michael Grav show on a Wednesday, October 14th, 2015. And the worst person of the day award. No, it does not go to Mike Huckabee. It actually, I gotta tell you, there's somebody that trumps Huckabee. And no, it's not Trump. Now, the worst person of the day is actually a Connecticut woman who decided to sue her own nephew in uh, what I would call just more evidence of crazy lawsuits and litigious lawsuits. And you want to talk about, we need tort reform more than we need any other kind of reform. Oh, my God. Uh, How the judge didn't just laugh this right on out of the courtroom I don't know. I think we need more Judge Judys and just more people that are going to just throw this kind of crap out. But um, it's a 54-year-old woman who's suing her own nephew. This actually is a case that started four years ago when the child was eight, who is now 12 years old. Sued her own nephew because she attended a birthday party. The kid got so excited to see her aunt that he jumped into her arms And the momentum knocked her over and she broke her wrist. And now she sues the kid for $227,000. Yep. Jennifer O'Connell claiming her eight-year-old boy was negligent when he jumped into her arms, (laughs) knocked her down, breaking her wrist, testified last week uh, that the injury made it hard for her to hold a plate of hors d'oeuvres. At least one juror was seen making some bizarre facial expressions, wrinkling her nose at the woman when she heard this testimony. The jurors took 20 minutes to deliberate and came back and told the woman, 54, from uh, Connecticut, uh, that she deserved absolutely nothing in her civil claim against the boy. Quote, we just don't think the boy was negligent, said the juror who declined to be identified as she left the courthouse. I would want to be, I'd be like, listen, uh, I thought that this woman was crazy, didn't deserve a dime, wouldn't give her a dime. How do you sue your own nephew, a kid? Oh my God, the kid is actually excited to see you. Let me tell you this, kid's not going to be excited to ever see you again, as will no one in the family. Way to ostracize yourself. Sorry, lady, you lose. So that is the worst person of the day and the craziest lawsuit of the day. And, uh, well, congratulations to you, Jennifer Connell of, uh, I guess this is Bridgeport. I assume that's Connecticut. All right. Uh, Charles Schumer, the Democrat from New York, says that cell companies are not being honest about their coverage maps. (laughs) You're kidding. Uh, He says that he's received numerous complaints from people all over uh, the rural areas, uh, especially in Dutchess County, who say that they have uh, numerous places where they can't get any cell service whatsoever. There's a a story here that they go into about a woman who purchased a phone from T-Mobile, and she said that she got the phone, she took it to her house, couldn't get a signal. Uh, went took it back to T-Mobile. They said, ah, sorry, lady, uh, no refunds. <laughs> and she said, well, you got to be able to do something for me. She said, well, why don't you give it to a friend? We'll give you T-Mobile credit. We'll give credit to you, and you can give it to a friend. And she said, well, I don't really have any friends that want to use T-Mobile. Um, same problem occurs with AT&T. In fact, 
most cell providers have very poor coverage in much of Dutchess County, and uh, including Poughkeepsie, all the way to Poughkeepsie, New York. You can't even get good cell service in Poughkeepsie? What is this world coming to? Can't even live in New York State, at least upstate New York, without having to worry uh, about terrible cell service. And Charles Schumer says that uh, cell phone companies really need to be held more accountable and that there needs to be more accuracy in reporting of the coverage maps. It is weird when you look at these um, cell phone commercials and they say, we have the largest network in North America, and they show their coverage map on the commercial, and it's always like completely filled in or just about completely filled in. Then you actually get the cell phone and you take it to your house and it never works. Even where I live, right here in the middle of Urbania, right here in the middle of Phoenix, Arizona, there is there are a couple of spots in my house where if I try to use my phone, this happens all the time. I get dropped calls on my phone right here, like where I'm sitting right now, next to my monitor. You can say, well, maybe it's your equipment interfering. But it has always been this way, even when there was almost no equipment in this room at all. There is a, a, a line. I can draw a literal line across my entire property all the way to my neighbor across the street. Probably a good, mm, I don't know, 100 feet long and probably a good, oh, I don't know, 30 feet wide where there is very spotty coverage in that kind of zone. And there's a couple other zones where you can just draw kind of a, a circle or a, or a pretty good line where there is just not coverage and this is there's a cell tower not even that far from here but and that's not just verizon that's verizon that's at&t i don't know about anybody else but those two uh providers the the coverage here now yeah i i get decent coverage around the rest of my neighborhood but there's just this a section of my house where i don't have very good coverage it's sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and um I don't know. Meanwhile, when I look at the coverage map, they're like, not only is it covered, but you should be getting perfect signal there. And then they tell you, well, why don't you dial star 228 or whatever, pound 228 or whatever it is. And and that should uh, help um, get your coverage, get your signal up. Uh, you know, they'll recalibrate your signal. And I'm like, why do they need to recalibrate my signal? Why do I need to do calculus? Why do I need to sit here and, and you know, figure out uh, geometry and the, and the arc tangent from my tower to my phone and all? Why do I need to do all of that just to make my phone work? My phone, when I have it, it should just work. I mean, this is 2015. Cell companies have been putting in their infrastructure for 20 years. There's cell towers everywhere. I should be able, in the middle of a of a major city like Phoenix, Arizona, I should never have an issue with coverage. When I go to Las Vegas, never have an issue. I can be in Las Vegas in a friggin' parking garage uh, surrounded by 100 feet of concrete and steel, and I still have five bars of signal. But then I come back home, I come back to Phoenix, and yeah, there are many places where it's fine, but then my own house, half of my house or maybe a quarter of my house has just very sketchy signal. And I, you know, it's the place, of course, it's the places where I spend the most amount of time. And that's just ridiculous. Literally, my bedroom where, you know, where I sleep and this room, yeah, my living room, fine. My kitchen, fine. Most of my backyard, at least uh, about 75% of my backyard, fine. 
But my bed, no. This chair and this general zone where I where I do most of my work here, no. Not so fine. Dropped calls happen semi-frequently. And it doesn't matter what kind of phone I have. It didn't matter. Like my old Motorola that I had back 10, 12 years ago. The Samsung I had. The... You know the old flip phone, the flip phones, the uh, my iPhone does not matter. Whatever phone I have, uh, it has always had. So it's not the phone, and I don't know if it's the provider. I have thought about switching providers. I still haven't. Um, I've been pretty loyal because Verizon has overall been okay. It's just the one thing, the one place where I need it to work the most. It kind of doesn't, so I don't know. Get Bernie Sanders on it. Get somebody running for president on that. Never mind your damn emails. I just want my phone to work everywhere I go. Okay? Come on. It's 2015. Let's get that running. Let's get that going. Never mind email gate. All right. Um, oh, here's something else. A point I have long made on this show over the years uh, has been... Something that, I, this is going to bother you chiropractic physicians out there. There's a new study out that pretty much confirms that you are in fact quacks and that you are taking a lot of people's money. So there's a study about, about uh, people with lower back pain and that during our lives, about 70% of us will at some point experience lower back pain. And the best thing you can do when those back aches strikes is just to take it slow. Yeah, a little massage, a little early treatment, but generally, you don't need the pharmaceuticals, you don't need the chiropractic physician, you don't need to have aggressive therapy, just uh, maybe a little massage and just take it easy for a little while and your lower back pain will often go away. Not necessarily needing all that surgery, all of that invasive, those invasive procedures, chiropractic uh, physicians, whatever. Look, chiropractors are quacks. Let's be honest. Anybody that tries to solicit you for business in a mall is usually not above board. Uh, <laughs> I've been approached by a few ambulance chasing lawyers and chiropractors in malls. Hey, have you ever had a chiropractic checkup? I'm just trying to like shop for something. Like I'm trying to pick up some shoes or whatever. And some guys go, hey, I'm, I'm going to the food court. Hey, have you ever had a uh, chiropractic uh, checkup? No. You ever had someone take a look at your back? Hey, your spine's curving a little bit here. Let me just uh, let me just uh, massage. Let me just rub my uh, hands over it here a little bit and give you an, uh, an adjustment. Okay, dude. And I know right now, if my mom listens, I've gone to a chiro the chiropractor for twenty years. You've done wonders for my back, not don't you know? Yeah, my mom's gonna say, and, I, and then I my what I inevitably say to her and people like her who tell me that is. You've been going to a chiropractor for 20 years and your back is still bad? What kind of medical practice is that? Like, if I go to a doctor and after 20 years, the problem I have gone to him for, hell, if after 10 visits, 5 visits, the problem I've gone for still isn't fixed, chances are the doctor's a quack. I mean, unless it's something like I broke a bone and I'm doing physical therapy. If it's just something like, oh, yeah, my back's a little sore and I'm still going to you 20 years later, probably means you're a quack. Sorry, I know people out there, whenever I do this rant, people immediately rush to the defense of chiropractors. No, man, they're perfectly above board and I've been going to a chiropractor and I spend $200 a session and uh, no, they're, they're fine. They're good. Okay. Okay, bud. 
Yeah, they don't have to go to the same uh, amount of medical school. You know, uh, I don't think... I don't think to be a neurosurgeon is the same medical pr- school and the same uh, medical education required to be a chiropractic physician. Now, I, this is don't confuse this, okay? I think massage therapists are are fine. In fact, I think it's it's great. Massa- massage therapy really works wonders. So if you're a masseuse out there, I'm not attacking you. I am specifically going after chiropractors who will always tell you there's something wrong with your back. There has never been a time where you have gone to a chiropractor and they've gone, oh no, your back looks just fine. They always go, eh, you know, your spine's a little curved right here. There's a little bit of an arch right here that's not, to, let me just give you an adjustment. Why don't you come back in in a week and, uh, yeah, well, just every week, I just come on in and we'll adjust your back. Yeah, my back needs adjusting every week. And then they adjust your back and it hurts like hell. And uh, let me just adjust it. And by adjust it, I mean break it a little bit so that you'll have to keep coming back in here. Chiropractors. But this study pretty much confirms this too. Let's see. This study is out in the journal. What is this? Journal of the American Medical Association. Basically, it just took 200 patients. It examined uh, who were all experiencing lower back pain, uh, broke them into two groups, uh, Group A basically received pretty aggressive treatment early on, chiropractors, a bunch of uh, you know physical therapy, all that kind of stuff. Group B, not so much. They waited three months. Turns out group B got better faster. And now, of course, they do want to say this doesn't mean that physical therapy won't help some patients. Quote, the average amount of improvement over 100 patients was small, but within that group, there were certainly patients that experienced large improvements and then ones who didn't receive much benefit at all, uh, says author Julie Fritz, a professor in the Department of Physical Therapy and the Associate Dean for Research in the College of Health at the University of Utah. So, But they're saying that Hey, you don't necessarily need all of that aggressive treatment. You don't need all those chiropractors. You don't necessarily need surgery. You don't necessarily... Now, again, we're not talking about somebody that breaks their back. or We're just talking about people that have the normal aches and pains that come along with being a human being. And sometimes maybe you tweak your back a little bit or whatever. Sometimes it's just best to sort of chill out. Just let it, uh, let it go and see what happens. So, but everyone runs to a chiropractor right away. You know, I had a, a little thing with my back here a few weeks ago. I was just for a couple of days, you know, it was kind of feeling really weird. And I do have lower back pain from time to time. It gets stiff. I mean, I'm sitting in this chair doing these shows and I, I spend a lot of time in a chair, you know. And so, yeah, sometimes my lower back gets a little sore. And uh, I don't just run out right away to a chiropractor. Now, I do wish. I, I probably should go out and spend the money for a, for a massage. Oh, that'd be fantastic. You know, this is the problem with being single. If I, you know, had a, if I had a, a girlfriend that, you know, could maybe help out at a little massage, that would probably help out. That'd be nice. So anybody that wants to just volunteer to come over and uh, give me a massage, I would, you know, kind of appreciate that. Um, that'd be nice. I wouldn't mind. Uh, but otherwise, I don't know. I'm not going to go to a chiropractor. I mean, unless, listen, if I 
do something really bad to my back if a disc gets pulled or whatever if i have like a, a broken vertebrae or something obviously i'd get surgery and i'd go through the normal process i'm not saying that you'd never ever do that but come on man let's stop with the nonsense about chiropractors so and please please spare me i don't want to get your email i went to a chiropractor and it helped me so therefore chiropractors are not quacks they're absolutely a hundred percent above board okay pumpkin I can just hear it now. Someone's going to say to me, hey, did you go to medical school, Mike? No, you know what? I didn't. And guess what? If you're a chiropractor, neither did you. Look, if you can go to Barbados or the Dominican Republic and get certified for something in a week or two, it pretty much means that it's not legitimate medical science, okay? If you run your operation out of a, out of a mall or a strip mall, probably, and you're a, a medical you're somebody in the medical field, probably means you're not all that legitimate. Okay? I'm sorry. It just doesn't. If I can go online to get certified to be something, it probably means it's not that legitimate, especially if it's in the medical field. Just like I equate being a chiropractor to almost the same thing as going online to be an ordained minister. I have friends that did that. You know, People I know, I, I can think of like three or four people that went online, they took the course, they're on their ordained minister. They can actually marry somebody. What did you have to do? Oh, I just had to go online and fill out a form. And then they sent me a certificate and now I'm an ordained minister. What do you know about being a minister? Nothing. I just filled a form online. Like, what do you know about the back? Well, hey, I read, I read uh, this pamphlet they send you. The pamphlet's like, so you want to be a chiropractic physician? And then like, listen, man, I'm sorry, but if you're running your operation out of a strip mall or out of a, uh, you know, at a shopping mall or something, I'm not going to take it all that seriously. I'm sorry. And I'm going to get a bunch of hate mail for this. And I know this happens a lot. This is one of those topics where when, whenever I talk about it, there's people that white knight for these uh, chiropractors. It is literally the thing I've gotten some of the most um, virulent, uh, some of the most v- uh, verbose, long emails about from people. It's like, uh, I've gone to a chiropractor for a long time and it just it literally saved my life. Okay, listen, I got it. The placebo worked for you. That's great. That's awesome. Sorry, man, not buying it. All right. I went to Mumbai, Mumbai School of Chiropractic Physicians. Okay. All right. All right. Anyway, look, I, I'm sorry if you're offended by that. I'm really not, but I'm going to say it anyway because I don't want to get sued by the American Chiropractic Institute or the American Chiropractic Association. Sorry, guys. You continue to adjust those backs, okay? They have that skeleton in the corner. Your back should look like this. Okay, guys. It's the zip code famous Michael Groff Show.
Graf.com for everything Michael Graf related. Yeah, maybe we can't all agree on a lot of things. But like Bernie Sanders, I am now going to reach out after the chiropractic rant. I'm going to reach out and try and bring people together. And I think we can all agree on one thing, and that is that pop-up ads and embedded ads and these videos that autoplay when you just want to look at news sites or you go to your favorite site and you just see all these ads. Not just the not the regular ads that are just on the sides or whatever, but these intrusive, loud, annoying ads are just something that needs to go. Maybe there needs to be a law against it. I don't know, but I am friggin' tired of it. And apparently I am not the only one. People are... You know, they're downloading all these ad blockers, software, all this stuff in droves. And believe me, I'm a guy that could probably benefit from having some advertising for this program out there. But I can tell you, I would never institute, I would never want to be part of an ad campaign that had these really intrusive, annoying advertisements. Because, well, it's more likely just to piss people off. And they must work because advertisers still do them. These agencies still have them. So they must on some level work. But all I know is I just close it. I never even know what's being advertised. I just shut them off. Most of the time, it's I think it's some kind of car ad. But man, I just even doing show prep for this program, I go to a lot of different sites. I am on probably, I don't know, literally 70, 80 different sites while I'm doing show prep. And inevitably, you run across a few that are just littered with ads. And they, it's it's not just that they're on the side. Believe me, those that's fine. I'm all for that. But it's the ones that they darken the screen. They take up the whole screen. They won't go away for a while or they divert you to another page or they do something like that. That's why people download these ad blockers. Well, I bring this, this up because... Uh, Germany's Axel Springer has banned readers who use ad blockers from its Build tabloid website. Now, Build, uh, this, it's one of the, it's Europe's top-selling tabloid. So visitors that go to Build, the website build.de, will be asked to switch off their ad blockers or pay a €2.99, which is $3.40 fee, to browse the website relatively ad-free. It says mostly ad-free, whatever that means. Quote, whoever does not switch off the ad blocker or does not pay cannot see any of the content on build.de. As of now, the publisher said in a statement on Tuesday. Publishers are struggling with the increasing popularity of uh, services and software that blocks the web advertising that is key to maintaining and growing their revenue in the internet age. 
Uh, but many users um, find these ads intrusive and slows the loading of pages. Some 200 million people used ad blockers last year, which was up 40% from a year earlier, resulting in $22 billion in lost advertising revenue, according to a study by Adobe and PageFair, which is an anti-ad blocking technology company. Now, anti-ad blocking technology, let's think about that. Those are people that are out there trying to find ways to get around your ad blocker. Remember when you when the internet sort of first gained popularity and you go to a website, and as I was talking about earlier, it was these little uh, frames of ads that were just in the corner or they'd be you know at the top of the page or on the side of the page, and you could kind of deal with that, and sometimes they'd have they'd even be animated, and it'd be a little distracting, but you know, for the most part, it was out of the way. Then became the era of pop-up ads where a separate browser window popped up. And then companies decided to integrate into browsers. Hell, even Microsoft just integrated into their browser. Oh, Bob, uh, block pop-ups. So then they're like, oh, they've blocked pop-ups. Well, and our, our campaigns of just having ads on the sides or the top or bottom of the page aren't working. Hmm, so they've blocked pop-ups. I know. Let's have them embedded in the site. So now it comes up as part of the page and it sort of overlaps over the text. Well, then they found a way kind of around that. And then, you know, and it just got to the point where it becomes an arms race between ad blockers and anti-ad blockers. And ultimately, the consumer loses because I got to tell you, I am just so annoyed, just so frustrated with this. And I'm speaking as a guy who, again, probably should do that kind of advertising online. And I understand the importance of advertising. I've been in this business. Uh, I was part of a huge network of online stations. And part of our revenue was generated by ads within our media player and our website. And it was very important that we got those ad impressions. So I'm, I'm coming to you from the standpoint of somebody who knows the importance of that revenue uh, and probably a guy that should be having a lot of advertising on his own website. I, I know that. But I would never want that kind of advertising. You know, the, the non-intrusive stuff is fine. The stuff that pops up and over overlaps the website and takes over your browser and the kinds that, you know, pose as error messages and that kind of thing, that's just, that's just shady and underhanded. Anyway... Some U.S.-based media owners, including uh, video streaming company Hulu and the Washington Post, have implemented similar measures, but Springer is the most aggressive by a European newspaper publisher so far. More than 30% of Germans online use such software. Many more than 5% of Internet users globally in 2014, according to a Dublin-based analytics and advisory firm PageFair, uh, which develops the ad blocker friendly advertising. Internet monitoring showed that about 23% of build.de visitors use ad blocking software in previous years. Uh, and that was, um, that's around 20%. So, yeah, so they're, they're like, listen, man, we need to come up with a way to help generate revenue. So if you're using an ad blocker and you want to go to build.de, uh, too bad, you can't. Not unless you're willing to pay. It's all about the dollar, man. It's just like YouTube. I got to tell you, I, I go to YouTube to watch a video and it just sucks because half the time that an ad pops up beforehand and you can't skip it. 
Some of them you can't skip at all. Some of them you can skip after five seconds. And I just resent the advertising. And I really shouldn't. I shouldn't feel that I have to resent Toyota or whatever, Geico or whoever is putting up an ad. But that's how I feel because these damn things are just so, so freaking annoying. And and I know people are frustrated with it. And that's why this ad blocker stuff is so popular. I don't really have an ad blocker. I just have an anti-pop-up thing or whatever. Um, but... I've really thought about it myself. I've thought about, you know, and I, I know it even works on YouTube. You can block a lot of the, the referencing sites and all that so that instead of seeing an ad before a video, it's just dead space. It's just dead air for about five or ten seconds and then the video plays. But I'm just too lazy. I haven't done it yet. And I probably will because, God damn, do I hate those things. All right, so that's the latest. So um, I expect other companies to be following suit very soon with all of this and uh, more anti-ad blocking stuff coming your way very quickly. All right, the 2015 nominees for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame have been announced. And uh, there are about 15 or so of them. I don't know a couple of these people. But uh, let's see. Um, let's see how many of these you, you know. Well, I know, okay. Here's, uh, here's a few of them. We'll even play a couple of samples so you can get an idea. Um, hmm. Let me see if I can. All right, here we go. Here, well, Janet Jackson is up for a nomination into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't know if I'd consider her rock and roll. I guess this is just music in general. So she's up. There's somebody called Chic, I guess. I don't know who that is. I assume Janet Jackson will be included, uh, hopefully without wardrobe malfunction. Janet Jackson in the 80s was pretty hip, pretty happening. Even early 90s. Then she did that Poetic Justice movie, and she got kind of chunky for that. and She had some music from that, which, I don't know, didn't seem to go over that well. She seemed like the most normal out of the Jackson family. Her and maybe Tito. And then it just... I don't know, then she kept trying. She kept trying to reinvent herself and... Uh, just didn't seem to go over too well. Anyway, Sheik is somebody that's nominated. Oh, look! Shaka Khan is in there. Shaka Khan, really? What I wanna do, I wanna love you, wanna hug you, squeeze you too. Let me take it in my arm, let me feel you with my charm, Shaka. Cause you know that I'm the one to keep you warm, Shaka. I make it more than just a physical dream. I wanna rock you, Shaka, baby, let you make me wanna scream. Let me rock you, rock you. Okay. Uh, the JBs, whoever they are. Chicago is nominated. I like Chicago. I've actually seen Chicago in concert. I saw them. This was actually kind of the weirdest concert. I saw Chicago, and opening for them was Earth, Wind, and Fire. And I really thought I was going to hate Earth, Wind, and Fire. I was never, you know, big fan of their music or anything. But man, they put on an incredible concert. I've talked about this on the air before. They actually really rocked, and I, I liked Earth, Wind, and Fire in concert more than Chicago. The 
believe it or not. They put on a great show. They're good musicians. You think, ah, oh, it's just, you know, that 70s disco crap. No, they actually... I, I know, I mean, we, you can make fun of Boogie Wonderland all you want. But they were uh, they were pretty good. Chicago was good, too. Don't get me wrong. Although most people that think of Chicago think of two different eras. There's this era, the 70s Chicago. And then there's the 80s Chicago. Which a lot of like older Chicago fans thought was, you know, got all wimpy and sucky. But to be honest, this is when Chicago sold millions and millions of albums. And this is where a lot of that notoriety came from, unfortunately, for those people that didn't like the wussier music. But I just want you to stay. Hey, you know, look, it was catchy, it was infectious. So there and there, Steve Miller. He is uh, nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I actually kind of thought he was already in there. But shows goes to show you what I know about it. See who else? Los Lobos and their one song. I don't. I never understood the popularity of Los Lobos or why they would be nominated. There's there's a couple bands in this list that. Hey look. They did a version of La Bamba. It was great. Deep Purple. Again, I thought Deep Purple was already in there. So, I've learned, I'm learning a lot that apparently the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is kind of lame because the bands that you'd think would be in there aren't. Yes! The band Yes is up for a Rock and Roll uh, Hall of Fame induction and... Um, you know what's weird about Yes is that I have seen them in concert more than any other band. And in each case, and again, I, I kind of like Yes, but in each case, I was there to see a different band. They just happen to be the opening act or the you know the main act or whatever. I saw Yes with Dream Theater. I saw Yes with Asia a couple times. I saw Yes with the Alan Parsons Project. I saw Yes with, um, who else? trying to think there was another incident i think a couple of times was with asia a couple of times once was alan parson i'm trying to think uh it was a weird pairing and i can't remember i think it was like bon jovi or something i don't know again there's two eras of yes also so when you go to a Yes concert, there's there's like the old older school fans of Yes that like the prog rock, early, mid, late 70s Yes. Then there's the 80s version of Yes. 
where they arguably had their biggest hit with Owner of a Lonely Heart. Like hardcore fans of Yes, kind of look at this as just like they look at the '80s version of Chicago. Because Yes started making songs like this, and then uh, Rhythm of Love. Nine Inch Nails nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, what's weird is Trent Reznor is regarded as a pretty good musician. And Nine Inch Nails had a nice run, but Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I don't know. That seems a little bit of a stretch. But I, I think they're probably more qualified to be in there than Los Lobos. Here's another weird one. The Smiths. Now, don't get me wrong. I like this song a lot. All right. I, I like... Uh, Smiths, I mean, this is a good song, but this is all they've got. Well, that's not true. That's not true. They did have a song that we used as the official song of the Terry Schiavo updates. Remember remember when Terry Schiavo, that, that whole case was going on? They did provide us with the official theme for the Terry Schiavo update every day, which I got a lot of hate mail about this, but it was pretty funny. Girlfriend in a coma, I know, I know. You know what? I take it back. Put him in the Hall of Fame for this. Girlfriend in a coma, I know, I know. It's really serious. There were times when I couldn't have murdered her. So, okay. I'm fine with it now. Uh, the Cars, they're nominated. And I think that's good. I'd put the cars. And I'm, again, another band I'm surprised isn't already in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Who's more iconic late 70s through mid 80s in terms of rock? I mean, there's there's a few bands and the cars were one of them. I figured they were already there. Because when you're standing all so near, I kind of lose my mind. Let's see who else is on this list. Uh, the Spinners. I think my mom knows who they are. I don't know. Maybe my dad would have known them. Uh, and NWA. I don't know. Some rap bull crap. So. so there you go. That's your uh, nominees for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Some of them I get, some of them I don't. Shaka Khan is in the same category as the cars. Where you been? As long 
Honestly, name five Shaka Khan hits right now. Don't look it up. Just sit here right now. I'm just going to... Here, I'll just put this, pot this up. Name them out loud. Go ahead. Exactly. You can't come up with them. Name five hits by the JBs. Right now, go ahead. Name five songs you'd recognize from the JBs. Or Los Lobos. I'll wait. Like, in order to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, don't you have to be, I don't know, kind of like famous or something? I don't know. I guess just about anybody gets in there, except the ones that really deserve it that should have already been in there. So I, I don't know how it works. It sounds like it's probably some politics involved. That would be my guess. I think U2 is already in there. I'm trying to think of other bands. I don't know. I'd have to go look at and see who's actually in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and who needs to be and who shouldn't be. That's another show. That's a whole separate podcast. Speaking of a whole separate podcast, I think we've done another nine-hour show today. And uh, I am... uh, Man... It really is. It's It takes like six hours. People wonder. It takes five to six hours to produce these shows because I've been kind of out of my groove, a little out of my element lately. So I've got to get back in the flow of it. All right. Well, whatever. Groffshow at gmail.com. That is our email address. Groffshow at gmail.com. That's also the PayPal address. Send money. Send contributions. If you do... I, um, you know what? I'll use the money. I'll go to a chiropractor. <laughs> now, actually, we're trying to upgrade some of the uh, studio equipment. So, uh, gmail.com. That would go a long way to helping us out with that. Thank you. Um, Michael Groff on Twitter and michaelgroff.com for everything that ever was, is, and will forever be Michael Groff related. The one and only michaelgroff.com. Thanks so much for listening. Really do appreciate it. See you next time. Good night, everybody.